This is the addendum, what I call Whiskey in the Cotswolds. Our itinerary had us reverting from Carlisle to London after finishing the walk along Hadrian's Wall Path. But along that journey is the Cotswolds, where, it turns out, Cole retains a share in one of the founding barrels of whiskey at the Cotswolds Distillery, which has grown rapidly from its founding a decade ago and is now one of the most popular, if not the most popular, tourist destination in the Cotswolds. So a visit to Cole's Whiskey was in order. We had planned to relax for a day back in Carlisle and then proceed to the Cotswolds the following day. But our travel plans were interrupted yet again, this time by the prospect of a UK rail workers strike. So rather than risk getting marooned in Carlisle, we cut our stay off early, by the way, after a delightful evening and a sumptuous English breakfast at the Shoregate House in Bowness on Solway, and took a train south to Banbury, aiming to visit the distillery in Coles Cask the following day. Now, no one would confuse me with a whiskey expert, but I know two things when it comes to whiskey. First, I know what I like when I taste it, and second, in this part of the world, scotch, as in Scottish whiskey, is the whiskey of global fame. But the distillery, the staff, and the whiskey made for a delightful day before we departed for London. Our final nightcap of the journey probably reveals some of the whiskey's other impacts. Whiskey day today, Cole. But, and it was a great day. Whiskey. But before we get to the whiskey, I think we have to count our blessings a bit because you and I managed to, how shall I put this? Navigate, navigate <laughs> circumnavigate, circumvent. I'm not sure of all the words we would use here, but we managed to navigate or get around the UK rail strike. And this was day one, which usually is the most chaotic of days when it comes to things like rail strikes. Yeah, I mean, we broke it into two pieces. We took away the rail strike's ability to completely screw with our reality by yesterday accelerating our departure from the north and heading into the Cotswolds yesterday. So that was nice. Had a nice dinner in, uh, you know, in and around Banbury, in and around the Cotswolds. So today, come hell or high water, we were going to wake up in the Cotswolds, a 20-minute walk away from the distillery. But the killer is, when I, when I rewind the whole thing now in hindsight, we basically said, roughly speaking, between moving from Carlisle down to London, mm-hmm. it was about a two-thirds, one-third. We said, let's get two-thirds of the trip down in front of the potential rail strike, and then we'll figure out what to do with the other third when we get there, and we'll enjoy the whiskey in the meantime. That was kind of the idea. It gets better. We do the run yesterday, get all the way down to Banbury, as you pointed mm-hmm. out. We end up staying near the distillery. Mm-hmm. It turns out that the trains were running no further north than Banbury, but were running south to London. So we were able to figure out a way to get from Banbury, i.e. the last third of the trip down to London after the whiskey. So unbeknownst to us, we somehow figured out this is basically as far south as you have to go to avoid the strike. And on Wednesday, 
kind of complete your mission without the strike really impacting your ability to travel. That, I mean, it's just, you know, we've talked a lot about weather when we were doing the Hadrian's Wall segment of this tour, but our luck with the weather appears so far, and knock wood on this because we're still not home, but our luck appears to have been virtual serendipity in terms of being able to transit just enough of the travel to get out of the way of the of the strike. It's kind of a stunner. Yeah, the only time weather set us back was because it was too hot, not because it was raining. <laughs> we, we haven't been wet yet. Okay, and on the weather, last point, because I want to get back to the whiskey. When we were nearly done at the distillery, and we're going back to all that, we're eating lunch before we picked up the cat to get back to the station in Banbury to, you know, to try to get down here. What happened? It started raining again. <laughs> but, but, you know... But we were done. It, was, it just spritzes on us. It never really rains. It, never, you know, exactly. we, we haven't been wet yet. Exactly. We brought rain gear. My theory now is the more rain gear you bring, the less you're going to need it. And by the way, <laughs> and by the way, and the sooner you if put you it, pull it out, yeah, right, for it sure on, it's going to stop. Then the game's over, right? Right. Yeah. When you put on the rain gear, five minutes later, it's hot and yeah. sunny. Now, if you don't bring it, it'll be torrential. It'll be torrential. <laughs> Murphy's law. Exactly. It's, exactly. But about this whiskey thing, you've probably forgotten more about whiskey than I'll ever know. And that probably, it's not the only thing, by the way, that, that fits into that category. But before we even get to talking about the whiskey, there's a little backstory here about how you got involved. This is Cotswold's, uh, Cotswold's Distillery. And you had some friends, that you're, a, friend, a particular friend who got involved in this. You got involved early. You have an early cast. Work us through that a bit. I think it's I think it's a really good story. I think the background is really good, uh, and then I'll, I'll comment for sure on the whiskeys. But yeah, I mean, I've known Dan Shore since early '80s. We were teenagers. This is 1980s. Uh, we're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, just, just to clarify, around 1980, yeah, okay, I think right. I met Dan right. Uh, right around Christmas 1980, and uh, we were teenagers, and uh, you know, we we had careers in finance and then Dan went off and started a distillery in 2013-2014 started barreling whiskey in 2014 we have cask number 4 uh, 54 54, 54. Was... it about 2 months into in, in yeah. into him starting to barreling whiskey yeah. came came ours you know i have three partners in this cask of whiskey that we bought back when he was willing to sell casks of whiskey which he doesn't do anymore just to get the thing off the ground, and uh, yeah, it's 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 been a like a fun hobby. Every once in a while, we come, we visit, we drink a little whiskey, and we go. But what, you know, getting it off the ground, basically, it ain't a whiskey until it's been sitting in the barrel for five years. So, in effect, you bought a barrel of whiskey in part because, from a cash flow perspective, if he's only making whiskey. There's no cash flow for five years, right? It's a very back end loaded. At least. It's kind of like growing, you know, planting, you know, vines and growing, you know, growing bulk grape from scratch, right? It's the same thing if you want to try to start a winery. So, in effect, you guys, seed capital is the wrong term, but maybe seed whiskey is the way that we should characterize it. But that's, you guys were a seed barrel. That's the way that I think about it. Yeah. So, you guys are an early barrel. And 
his business has flourished since. And it's a great, great place to visit. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's just, we had a special tour because you're you're a special <laughs> investor. A, a, a seed investor or a, or a <laughs> seed barrel. Partial owner of one of the best known casks at, at the distillery. The best known thing. That's what I really wanted to get to here. So it turns out, when you're a, a, a seed barreler like you guys were, uh, you do get the opportunity to name your barrel, name your whiskey, which ultimately gets bottled with that label on it. And yours has a particular name. Yeah, we were just sitting around drinking whiskey one day, so what are we going to name the cask? Yeah. And uh, we came up with the Knights Who Say Knee from Monty Python. And we figure it's it's English whiskey, and you know there was something something about that that just caught on with us, and I don't think any of us really expected that to stick. But next thing you know, it's stenciled on the back of the barrel, and uh, so our cask is the the famous cask number fifty four, the Knights Who Say Knee barrel, and everybody that works there knows our barrel. <laughs> this is like a full circle moment here, because. I think we mentioned it several nightcaps ago. Most of the Roman history that you know and I know was learned from Monty Python movies, <laughs> you know, which is is basically historical. You know, it's Roman curriculum. I think for uh, you know, if you want to get like a PhD, I suppose in Roman history, you watch a lot of Monty Python, and it's obvious that you did, and you convinced your partners that's the way to name this thing. Yeah, I just threw it out there. I didn't expect it to stick. But it, Next thing you know, it's on the barrel. <laughs> and, and now that we've had uh, a third of our barrel bottled into, you know, excellent bottles of cask strength whiskey, it's on the bottles as well. So I, again, I know much less about whiskey than you do. There's a few terms that come up in this whole, in, the, in the, what I'll call the whiskey game. And, and you mm -hmm. and I got a very thorough tour from one of Dan's uh, basically right-hand people, Nick, who was great. Yeah, he's awesome. In, in how to, you know, what the process is. He walked us through. He walked us through the equipment, etc. So there's a couple terms. Offer a couple definitions. You barrel, uh, you're, you're barreling whiskey, and then it's going to age in the cask. How long do you age it? First, it's, it's at least five years to even call it a whiskey, but then how long do you really want to barrel it to really get it to soften and, and become a you know well-aged and well-softened smooth whiskey well I think it depends on the wood yeah. it depends on it depends on the barrel mm -hmm. it depends on the whiskey but yeah as you as you point out it has to be four years or five years while it's called new make until it becomes officially whiskey and you can't sell it till it's whiskey nobody wants to buy new make right. and over that period of time it goes from a clear liquid to picking up some color and some taste from the wood and uh it's it's, it's all fantastic ours we barrel uh, we bottled the first hundred bottles at about eight years okay. yeah the rest we're going to let it ride for a little while probably barrel bottle a little bit more at 12 years or 16 years and then i don't know the rest we might put in a different cask to get a different kind of wood, different kind of taste, pick up some different accents, and then bottle the rest. Now, a couple of other things I gather are going on in the meantime. There is this slow evaporation process, if you will. I think the term for it is angel's share. So the longer you leave it in the barrel, 
the angels get their share, so to speak. I did. I had not heard that term until you and I talked about it. Elaborate on that. Well, it's just evaporation. It's about one and a half percent per year. So, you know, the quality goes up, but the volume goes down. <laughs> so that's what happens as uh, as whiskey ages. So, so, so an economist like me, I should think of that as a tax rate. It's a, that's the time tax. It's the time value of whiskey. I guess yeah, you could look at it that way. Okay. Yeah. Then you used the term earlier. Again, it's a term I hadn't used or, or didn't know before. Cask strength, I think you said, or or, mm-hmm. or cask intensity. What is that? Well, you throw it in, and it's about 63, 64% alcohol, which would be about 128, 128 proof. And if, if you figure most alcohols are around 86 proof, most whiskeys, yeah, yeah. No, most alcohol. So oh, like, right? like okay. gin, vodka, okay. everything, okay. you know, whiskeys as well. Yeah. You, you get to 86 by watering it down a little bit. Yeah. So we we bottled ours cask strength, like full, full on, and you add a little water afterwards rather than putting water in and then uh, paying the queen to ship water across the Atlantic to us. So we're... We have the highly concentrated whiskey as opposed to adding water and watering it down. And that's because to export, there is a duty involved on, yeah, yeah. on whiskey. Yeah. yeah. So I, just before we go any further, how, how big is that bag that you're going to be bringing back to the States there? <laughs> and and what, what's the weight of that thing? Yeah. I, th- I think of around 36 pounds right now. <laughs> yeah. Right now. That's why you left the room, right? Because it can be 50. But I but I've been throwing stuff away all along the trip, so there's, there's a little bit more room. All right, all good, all good. So you said you said twelve, maybe fifteen years. So you guys actually have a span before you really think about bottling the rest of what you got in the barrel. Yeah, but we've got a hundred bottles in the meantime, so we've got something to keep us busy. So we, you about a hundred days or so. No? <laughs> Hopefully, more than that. Yeah, Otherwise, right. we'd be dead. Hundred days cast strength drinking a bottle that would be that would not be good. That would not be good for anybody's jobs or careers or marriages, etc. But all sorts of things. Yeah, <laughs> all sorts of important things. So the beauty of it is, you and I got to taste several whiskeys from Cotswolds, all of which I, I frankly thought were, they all had really nice definition. They were all actually, uh, I'll put it, differentiable. We had them side by side. Yeah. The tasting bar, Melissa yeah. was great. I'm gonna pay you guys compliment of the ones that I sampled, and I think I sampled a few, you sampled a few different ones, mm-hmm. just because our palates were a little different, so our preferences ran in different directions. Cole, this is gonna sound like flattery, I thought your barrel was the smoothest. It had a butteriness. It had a balance to it. Your thoughts on some of the, you know, and I thought all the whiskeys no. were very nice, but that was the one that I gravitated toward. Yeah, ours is very similar to what the what they bottle as the Founders Reserve. Yes. So if there's anybody listening who wants a good bottle of whiskey, the Founders Reserve is a great starting point. The ones that I tasted today, and, 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 and I agree, I think ours is extremely good. It stands up to any of them. It just has a nice balance. I thought it had a nice balance. The other ones I like today, they, they have a peaty scotch or whiskey, and a wheat peaty whiskey. It, sound, it tastes, tastes like a Isla scotch from Scotland. There was a Madeira cask one that was 
very uh, smooth and very warm. Mm -hmm. I really like that. So, again, it all depends on the wood. You, you, you yeah. put a certain whiskey on different wood and it, it picks up different notes, different coloration, different everything. It, it, I mean, I thought the impressive thing is, and this is a good example, I think, that you're describing very similar whiskey going into different casks, different woods, different woods treated, you know, or the same woods treated differently. It, it, the, this is very, it's, it's stunningly artisanal, I guess is what I would say. And you could tell across sampling stuff that they had made at very similar points in time through mostly the same equipment, but the barreling just changed the flavoring, it changed the nose, it changed the finish. It's amazing, isn't it? It really, it, it, like I said, it's so, it's it's quite artisanal. That's the way. I so would they get it. sherry casks from Spain. They get these uh, red wine casks that they they rechar and and rescrape uh, uh, STR casks STRs, yeah. um, from Portugal. Portugal yeah. They get bourbon barrels from the United States, and the, you know you put the same whiskey in those three different barrels they're all going to come out tasting very very different very different things happen to them yeah yeah you know for you and i there's some really great news which is the little draw that was taken from your barrel you and i enjoyed some of but it two days out, ago but we didn't quite we didn't quite finish today and it will be a damn shame to let that go to waste so it seems to me what we want to do is we want to pour a little of that it seems to me also that we want to cut it a little bit, a couple drops of water, which I think we've set up a couple glasses to do so. And Cole, you probably have some detail on that uh, on that bottle before we go forward. Is there anything that uh, that needs to be said about it other than it's an eight-year-old whiskey, already tastes very smooth, again cask strength, right? Cask alcohol content, hence the um, you know taking a little bit of the nose off of it with a little water. Yeah, it's around 62% alcohol, yeah. which double that, 124 proof. Good, good uh, We've got a little 100 centiliters here, one-tenth of a liter. It comes from cask 54, which is ours. I'm going to pour a little bit now. Is the big one mine or the big one yours? Big one's mine. <laughs> it is your cast. Slotch. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. It's and a beautiful that, whiskey. It's a great whiskey. Beautiful whiskey. And it's not just yours, any of them from Cotswolds. And there's a, we enjoy and every one of those. And there's a bottle for you waiting in the art. Well, I was going to ask about that. I'm just glad that it's already waiting for me. God bless. <laughs> Thanks for the whiskey Cheers. today. Booyah. Booyah.